Everybody loves a good mystery, right? Now, how many of you have no idea what you just watched? Well, back in 1980, everybody knew what that was because everyone was watching to see who shot J.R. When the episode entitled Who Done It finally aired eight months later because of an actor's strike, it was the highest rated television show in history. Former President Gerald Ford tried unsuccessfully to get the scoop on who shot JR from the show's producer. It was estimated that 83 million people watched, which was more than the number of voters in that year's presidential election between Ronald Reagan and, and Jimmy Carter. You can also blame or thank that episode for the now common practice of ending a season series with a cliffhanger. As we continue our series in Ephesians this week, we look at a passage that is focused on a mystery. And I've got good news for you. You don't have to wait eight months to find out what the mystery is. Paul tells us the answer in verse 6. So let's take a look at the passage. Follow along with me as I read from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Paul begins by starting a prayer for the Ephesians. But right in verse 1, he quickly gets distracted. Ephesians 3, starting at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. 
join me in a brief prayer before we dive into this passage. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us, teach us, help us to hear what you want to say to us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we do dig into this passage today, we're going to look at three points. We're going to look first at the nature of the mystery. Secondly, we'll look at the ministry of the mystery. And then finally, our purpose as the church in the ministry. I've always loved good mysteries. As a child, I was a fan of Sherlock Holmes, both the books and the movies, the old movies. I still love most versions of Sherlock Holmes today. If you, by the way, if you haven't seen the BBC series, the one called Sherlock with um, Benedict Cumberbatch, highly recommend it if you're into mysteries for the appropriate ages, of course. But I love being kept on the edge of my seat and being shocked by the big reveal at the end. Now, the bad news is today that I'd have to give the Apostle Paul a pretty poor grade on his dramatic artistry in Ephesians 3. He plays up a big mystery, but without much attention to building up the suspense, he simply lays out the nature of the mystery in verse 6. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So that's that. Mystery solved. Right? Well, I don't know about for you, but for me, not so quickly. If the mystery's solved, then why am I so confused? Yeah, that was my reaction. Confusion. When I realized I had to preach on this passage today. After reading verse 6, the explanation of the mystery, I walked away with this question. How's that a mystery? Let me explain. For a long time now, Maybe you're in the same boat, especially since I took the perspectives course on world missions. I've understood that even in the Old Testament, God made it clear that the nations, that is the Gentiles, anyone who's not a Jew, would be blessed. Way back in Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abram, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And it's all over the place in the Old Testament. Psalm 96.3, another example. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous work, works among all the peoples. So if all that about God blessing the Gentiles is throughout the Old Testament, then how is verse 6 
revealing a mystery. I was confused. So I started reading, picking people's brains, reading some more. In the end, here's what I discovered. Yes, the fact that the Gentiles would be blessed through Abraham and his offspring was clearly taught throughout the Old Testament. But the extent of that blessing was spelled out here in Ephesians 3 in a way that would have been a shock to any practicing Jew. You see, many of the Jewish people at the time viewed the Gentiles with disdain labeling them as unclean and sinful people, dogs even. The Jewish people had been commanded in the Old Testament law to have customs such as circumcision with the expressed purpose to keep them separated from the other nations. And they sought to do so, which didn't exactly go over too well with the surrounding nations. The mystery here was the extent to which the Gentiles were blessed through the gospel. Listen to the words used here. Fellow heirs, members of the same body. In another passage where Paul's addressing this same mystery, Romans 11, he speaks of the Gentiles being grafted into this body like a branch is grafted into an olive tree. This whole idea was probably shocking to most of the Jews of that day. The body of Christ. Take some Jews who recognize in Jesus the promised Messiah and join them together with Gentile believers from every nation, race, class distinction and form them together into a new body of Christ, also called the church. This was the nature of the mystery that Paul was here revealing to the Gentile believers at Ephesus. Jesus is a Messiah for everyone. One application of this truth jumps out at me. It pertains to racism. There should be no hint of racism among God's people. We are all one body in Christ. My father was a racist. From a young age, he taught me to fear and hate black people. When I became a follower of Jesus at age 17, God gave me a new heart of love for my black brothers and sisters, as well as every other race in this world. And I can't say that I haven't been scarred by the way I was raised. But through Jesus, I choose love. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Our second point, which I'd like to look at today concerns the ministry of this mystery. Verses 7 and 8. Of this gospel, I, Paul, was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, 
which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul knows what his ministry is to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Isn't that our calling too? Doesn't the Great Commission give that mandate to all of us? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And remember this, ladies and gentlemen. Disciple making begins and ends with evangelism. You might ask, what do you mean by that, Pastor Chuck? I mean this. No one is ready to be discipled until they have been evangelized. And no one has fulfilled their calling as a disciple until they have multiplied themselves into someone else through evangelism. Oh no, but I I can't do that. I, I don't know the Bible well enough. I have a wife and kids to support, to lead. If to, I need to focus on them. I, I'm afraid of public speaking. I don't, I don't want to offend my neighbors and coworkers. I, I don't want to be offensive. And, and, and you don't know my past. I, I've done things. Paul doesn't make any excuses as to why he can't fulfill his calling. Instead, he says... Some things, in spite of these things, in spite of these things about me, I'm going to fulfill my calling. I'm the very least of all the saints. In 1 Corinthians 15, he adds, For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. At the time he's writing this, he's in prison for the sake of the gospel. He didn't make excuses. Someone said, you accomplish for God or what you accomplish for God will depend on what it takes to stop you. Paul wasn't going to be stopped. He didn't make excuses. Paul fulfilled his calling to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Another version says the unfathomable riches of Christ. When I think of unfathomable, I think of big numbers, really big numbers. We're getting close to the time for another round of the NCAA March Madness. Think about this. If every person in this room filled out a March Madness bracket, it's likely that no two brackets would be exactly the same. Nine quintillion is the number of possible brackets that can be created in one March Madness tournament. 
That number's huge. Here's how huge. If I could produce one billion unique brackets every second, it would take 300 years to produce nine quintillion brackets. That's unfathomable. So too, the riches of Christ are unfathomable. You hear what Paul's saying? When you hear how awesome this gospel is, you're going to think, it's unfathomable. It's too good to be true. And one word sums it up. One word tells you how awesome it is. One word makes it unfathomable to anyone who admits he's a sinner. You know the word. Grace. Undeserved kindness. I was dead in my sin and God made me alive. I was an enemy and he made me a friend. I was lost and he found me. Grace means there's nothing I can do to make God love me any more or any less. It's unfathomable. And our job is to make following Jesus look and sound so attractive, like it really is, as we're lavished in those unsearchable riches of Christ, that those, those neighbors, those coworkers, those family members will see us and think, give me a little bit of what she's drinking. What image do you portray to your neighbors, your coworkers? Do they think of you as the person who's Always complaining about something. Always finding fault. Or what about this one? This one, re this one comes close to home here. Some of us don't do a very good job of wearing joy on our faces. I've always struggled with that. My, my at-rest facial expression makes people think I'm having a bad day even when I'm not. I try to work on it, but I don't do too good. On the flip side, though, I am one of those people that walk around the church office singing the latest Christian song or maybe an old hit from the 60s or 70s. But without being fake in any way, we want to be people who let the joy that's in us because of the unfathomable grace that's been showered upon us Show to all. That's the ministry of the mystery. Lastly, today I'd like you to notice our purpose in the ministry. We find that in verses 9 and 10. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, 
so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We are the church. And the church has been given a huge responsibility. We are to bring to light for everyone the plan of the mystery. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is to be displayed. More simply, it's through the church that God wants to display his glory to everyone on earth and, as it says in this text, in the heavens. That's been the plan from the beginning of time, and it continues as his plan today. All of history and his dealings with first the Jews and now the church has been scripted to testify to his glory. Renowned 20th century British theologian John Stott has said it better than I ever could. I think the, it's going to go up on the screen. The quote from John Stott. It's, he says, it's as if a great drama is being enacted. History is the theater. The world is the stage. And church members in every land are the actors. God himself has written the play and he directs and produces it. Act by act, scene by scene, the story continues to unfold. But who are the audience? They are the cosmic intelligences, the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We're to think of them as spectators of the drama of salvation. Thus, the history of the Christian church becomes a graduate school for angels. I love the word picture painted by that quote. But if that's a little too wordy for you, John Piper puts it much more succinctly when he says, the manifestation of the glory of God is the meaning of the universe. It's the meaning of the entire universe. When we think of this mandate to the church, it brings to mind what Paul calls us in 2 Corinthians 5. We are ambassadors for Christ. Everything we do is representing him. Not only to the world, but also to the principalities in heavenly places. We are the display of his glory. How are we doing? We're the display of his glory. How are we doing at it? Now remember, Paul wrote this to a small house churches gathered in homes, not the big mega churches with eloquent preachers and big budgets. The church displays his glory 
when we live as the body of Christ with love and unity, supporting, encouraging, and exhorting each other in godliness, with Christ as our head, living by faith, relying on the Holy Spirit to lead us and to give us power. One commentator has called our churches, I love this, functional outpost of God's kingdom and prototypes of God's end-time community. For far too many of us, the church is just a place where we do time on Sunday morning so we can get back to our lives, our goals, our agendas. The church is meant to be the embodiment of the purposes of God on display for all to see. I hope and I pray that you find your community in the body of Christ. You can find community in other places. Local bar, your workplace, sports team, a club. You can find community in places like that. Maybe even good community. But when you find your community in the church, you become one of those functional outposts of God's kingdom. And at the same time that your needs are being met, you start meeting the needs of others in your outpost. And the kingdom of God is strengthened. And the glory of God is put on display. If you're looking for an outpost of God's kingdom, there are opportunities here. Join a life group. Join a small church. Join a DG. We want you to find community here so that we as a body can display God's glory. I said it before. Everyone loves a good mystery. They're fun. Because you get the, you don't, you know, you know, don't know how they're going to end. The best ones keep you in suspense right till the very end. But as much as I love a mystery, I'm glad I know how this one plays out. It was JR's sister, Kristen, who, sister in law, who shot him. Oh, did you think I was talking about the mystery in the Bible? Well, we know how that one plays out, too. And in the words of some preacher somewhere I once heard, Jesus wins. Mystery solved. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the drama that you are portraying throughout all of history and for the part that we get to play in it, displaying your glory, 
God, it's such a high calling, such a huge responsibility. We want to take it seriously, and we want to be a part of what you're doing. We've reaped the benefits of your unfathomable riches in Christ as you have poured out grace upon us. And we want to display your glory to others. Help us, Lord. May we as a church, as individuals, may we shine for you in our community and in the world. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.